Hey everybody, welcome to Shallow Dives. We're back after a months-long hiatus. Uh, here to talk about the new Charlie Kaufman directed and written film, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, Christian, how are you feeling? Uh, well, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. One, I'm glad we took a break, just so people know. Like, we did the Quarantine Movie Club, which we're totally doing still. This is technically, I guess, part of that. Maybe, maybe not. But right. uh, when you when you watch that many great films, those are dense films we were watching. You know, like think about the masterpieces on there. Billy Jack, number one. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the first and only one that really springs to mind for me. Well, then Five Sleazy Leases is my second. But in any case, it's like, you know, those are dense films that after a while you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, it's, it's, it's good work, but it's yeah. still work. For, for those of you who are following along, we were doing uh, two films each every week. So that was four films a week. And we got, uh, what, six, seven episodes deep, maybe more? Yeah, uh, so that, that was a lot of sanity. Yeah, a lot of quality cinema to be cramming into uh, that shorter time period. So we we took a break around the time of the George Floyd protests just to kind of take a breather. I think we were both just emotionally exhausted too. Um, but hey, we're back, baby, with some relevant topics about an art house Netflix film that not many people have probably seen. So, well, all right, let's do this. Let's talk about personal relationship with the with the with the with the creative talent. You know, I think that's sure. always really important because I think Kaufman. It's not exclusive to me. It's not exclusive to you. I think Kaufman is a very special artist for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, he's I, you know. fine. I mainly came for Fat Damon, though. If I'm being honest. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I heard Kaufman. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a cherry on top. But what's the actual Sunday? It's it's fucking Fat Damon, absolutely. Um, no, yeah, I'm I'm very sorry to derail, to derail you. Yeah, no, you're Kaufman fine. is no, uh, he's bit. deeply important to both of us. I think, um, especially in just like if you when you think of a screenwriter that's working today that's doing interesting shit who's the first person you think of well it's 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 the weird guy who never had to sacrifice the emotional honesty of his work for the weirder shades of his work i don't know anyone else who's really doing that and who's been able to do it at such a high clip i mean being john malkovich is great adaptations wonderful uh eternal sunshine is the one people always go to and i think rightfully so uh and it's really interesting that we talk eternal sunshine that's the one that i kind of want to connect i'm thinking of ending things to not to say that they're the same thing but it's like this is just the same muscle being flexed for a different purpose is sort of what i feel i watched the movie um it was it confounded all kind of explanation to me and yet as i've sat with it i think i can maybe piece together some semblance of what i think but i really like this film and i'm gonna turn it over to you in as much that it's one of the first films in a, in a good minute um, where I don't think that there really is a right answer. I think mm. more than like I, the other movie that came to mind was Mother, but that seemed to be like Aronofsky being like, hey, this is exact. you fucking, you get it? <laughs> like he's just trying to get you to see exactly what it is instead of it being more left open to interpretation. Max, how did you feel about this movie? I mean, I think that the comparison to uh, Eternal Sunshine is very apt, dude. Um, uh, definitely does kind of play in that same sandbox, but with an incredibly different tone, a much more despairing uh, kind of horror, kind of just general dread uh, that Kaufman is playing with. And also Synecdoche, New York, to a lesser extent, um, in terms of him kind of pushing the surrealism. A little bit further than he normally does but it definitely as far as i can tell and we can get into interpret interpretations later it is about uh kind of living in somebody's headspace which is something he's always been concerned with but eternal sunshine is of the spotless mind is somebody navigating uh you know their own headspace through their memories as they fade um and this is uh, very similar in some ways to that but just like you said going in 
total opposite direction. It also reminded me uh, to name a film by another filmmaker we both love. Uh, probably my favorite film is Mulholland Drive. Um, but we can get to that a little bit later. Uh, this do you want movie to... makes uh, Mulholland Drive look like Green Book, <laughs> like in, in terms of structure, which is so fucking weird to me because I never thought I'd say that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know, man. I, I'll say this. When we watched the trailer for it, I was mm. like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> like we're, we're in for something here, aren't we? Uh, because that trailer is genuinely unnerving. Uh, I recommended right. this film to a friend of mine uh, yesterday, and I and I name checked Eternal Sunshine, and I'm like, yeah, but like, if you wanted to just do a horror film, low key, that same guy, that same feeling, but right. for this nefarious purpose. And she was like, holy shit, I gotta watch that. So I think we've done a, a bunch of preamble here. I mean, I, I think we should kind of get into the film itself, which, you know, to to even try to put this in a in a plot would be a disservice because one, it's not a plot driven film. The ba- the bare bones of it is like, there is a couple, this couple is going on a drive to upstate somewhere to meet the parents mm-hmm. and things get a little weird. I mean, that's as best as I can do for a story synopsis, unless you want to take a crack at it Max. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it does have a specific structure and it, it is based on a novel by, and I, I never know how to say this fucking name, but uh, I, Ian, Ian Reed. Right, is it right. Ian Reed? It's Pretty like some, some fucking Irish name. Um, but anyways, uh, it's based on a novel of the same name. And it's basically kind of divided into almost pretty even thirds. The first third being the drive up to the parents' house, the middle chunk being the parents' house, and then the last third uh, taking place at an empty high school. Um, but yeah, like aside from that, like you said, it is not plot driven. Uh, things start to uh, sort of become unhinged in that in that middle uh, chunk of the film. So while watching this, I was really struck by a couple of things. Number one is I don't know who Jesse Buckley is, but Jesus fucking Christ, this woman was like a yeah. tour de force. Like like there were times where I turned to my wife, be like this is amazing, right? Like, am I fucking this up? Cause you know, all, like full disclosure, I'd taken some edibles and those hit you real hard. So I was, <laughs> I was a little scared while watching it that I was embellishing all of this. And no, I find out that that's not the case. Like the, the performance was just breathtaking in a, in a yeah. movie that's filled with breathtaking performances, by the way, Tony Collette, can we just give this woman all the Oscars? Not because she deserves it necessarily for this role, but because can you name someone else who is so game? I'm thinking about just this roller coaster between hereditary knives out. And then to this, it's just mm-hmm. like game for everything. Amazing in every capacity. And then Thulis, I've, uh, as I told you when I rewatched Big Lebowski recently, uh, just a freak. He's a freak of nature who can do anything, can be scary, can be charming. It's amazing that the dad in this character that ain't Lupin in Harry Potter. And yet it totally is the same guy. And it's like, I, this was just, it was populated by fucking thespians, man. I don't know any other way to say it. It wasn't just actors. It wasn't pretty faces. You know what I mean? It was people who really like understood what the task at hand was and destroyed it, man. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, the fucking cast in this movie is completely stacked. Like you said, I'm just repeating what you're saying, but it is like, that is the thing that struck me first is that even if the filmmaking wasn't there, which it is, even if the writing wasn't there, which it is, just the performances that these actors are giving. And like, we're, we're sleeping on Jesse Plemons a little bit. And he has like kind of in a weird way, much less showy role than anybody else. But he plays this sort of disaffected, um, 
uh, internalized kind of anxiety very, very well. Um, he almost like plays it like a character who's a product of abuse. Uh, I don't want to uh, continue without just getting into spoiler territory. So if you don't want to, you know, get spoiled, just stop listening to this, go watch the movie or don't move on with your life. I don't give a shit. Uh, so going in spoilers, um, basically they drive up to the house. Uh, they start having these circular conversations during the car ride. Um, and she has this eternal internal monologue running uh, where she keeps talking about how wonderful their relationship is on one hand and then starting to say, I'm thinking of ending things. Um, and that internal monologue keeps getting interrupted by Jesse Plemons. And like early on at that point, I was already keying into the fact that there's something not quite right here. Um, she talks in different accents. Her profession changes throughout the film. Her name changes. Her clothes change. Her hair changes. Um, I don't know. At what point in the movie did you start to be like, okay, uh, this is fucked up. This is off. Well, I mean, it gets sold for sure at the dinner. Like early on, I still can't really tell what's going on. And by design, they kind of obfuscate the names anyway. Like, you know his name, but you don't know her name. And then you're like, oh, it's Lucia. Wait, she just got a call from that. You know what I'm saying? So like right. they constantly fucked with that. I'm like, oh, maybe I just misheard it, whatever. But then pretty much like from the house on, you know, like it becomes very apparent that something's uh, rotten in Denmark, as it were. Right. Uh, and, it, and it was about trying to figure that out. Like me and Dolores were having competing theories. And she's like, wait, do you think that this is them? Like they're moving through time, right? Like and her mannerisms are, are mimicking uh, Tony Collette's a little bit and I'm like oh interesting yeah a little bit I could see mm -hmm. that right and so we're like just working this out in real time but then it, it I, that quickly like loses luster in my mind because other things are going on because the professions are changing because the 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 meet cutes are changing and you thought like okay well maybe that would be just like that specific scene we've now moved forward in time and the parents are older and senile and shit like that and you're like oh well maybe they could just be lying but it just keeps compounding where the 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 the, the little details that irk you about a situation right it's like when you look at a um find the six differences in the pictures you know that they put in the sunday paper sort of deal it's mm -hmm. like eventually you stare at it long enough and you'll see the things that just are they, they're out of place like they're out of joint if i can quote the bard uh and that's what it quickly became for me which is this idea okay i don't think that that they're the same people but uh, the dinner scenes, the, everything at the house, and then when they get back into the car, really kind of solidifies that because you were talking about the accents. There's yes. like this staggering fucking scene. I mean, like Jesus Christ staggering, okay? <laughs> Where they're talking about uh, Cassavetes' film, uh, Woman mm -hmm. Under the Influence. Yes. Yo, that was, uh, that was everything for me. That was the moment right. I actually turned to my wife and was like, is this happening? Like, because this is the most fucking breathtaking piece of acting that I've ever seen. And it's right. so weird. And it just, and I'm going to stop because I, I want to, you know, get off on the uh, the pit stop here and let you uh, let you speak. But the thing I was trying to like really put out here is that the flashiest in terms of filmmaking that this that it really is is kind of during the housing scenes because there's more space to fuck around with, and also at the the school at the very end. But the car scenes are so claustrophobic. And yet they are so immaculately directed, man, because like a lot of these things are, are full takes. And I had heard all these stories about Buckley and Plemons talking about how they would run through 12, 13 pages of dialogue a day, which I was like, what? How? How does anyone do that? And then you see the movie and it makes sense. man. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, the... I, I think from from the jump, this is a very meticulously uh, crafted film. And like for a, uh, what is this, his second film? Or is this his first? Because he did Synecdoche. So this is his second film. This is his third film. He did Anomalisa. 
didn't he co-direct that though with like uh, Dino Stamatopoulos and a few other people? Oh, I thought it was just him, but maybe maybe it's just one person. I mean, he wrote it and he co-directed okay. it. So at, at either nothing, way, his third directing, yeah. yeah, his third directing credit. Okay, um, yeah, like for for just a still relatively new filmmaker, dude is uh, fucking killing it. And I would say the middle chunk definitely also like called to mind another David Lynch uh, film that reminded me of like a prolonged version of the scene in Eraserhead where Henry goes to meet the parents. Oh, yeah. It's where everything is just off and off kilter and disturbing and it's almost normal, but then it's not. Um, in terms of my interpretation of what's going on, because we see this dinner table scene, speaking of uh, stunning scenes where Jesse Buckley's character is recounting how she met um, uh, Jesse, uh, what's his name? Plemons. Yeah, Jesse Plemons' character. Um, and she starts, like you said, taking on the mannerisms of the mother, and then the mother starts taking on her mannerisms. One character will get more confident and then less. Uh, one character will start talking in a British accent or a country accent. Um, and it started to kind of mimic the way somebody's mind, maybe in dementia or Alzheimer's or in delusion, is sort of course correcting to maintain a delusion. So to me, it read as kind of like in Mulholland Drive, all these bit players were just pieces of a broken psyche trying to prop up a very fragile delusion. Um, and I was reading a lot of like how Jesse Plemons was interacting with the parents as, you know, a product of his resentment towards having to take care of them at the end and possible abuse. Um, just the mm -hmm. way he shied away from the mother and how the father referred to his bedroom and his bed. Um, there's just like a lot in there, a lot of little details. And like the scene where she's uh, doing the movie review of the John Cassavetes film, like it's a word for word, uh, you know, a recitement of a Pauline Kael review. And we see a Pauline Kael book in his room. Yeah, I mean, so so that's kind of the, I, I feel like we need to kind of dive into what we actually think is going on in this film a little bit, because I have purposely not read a goddamn thing. I, mm -hmm. I didn't want to uh, because I know that this movie, it just, it felt different from mother. I don't know why. Like that's the one I keep going back to is like s someone gave a lot of money and a really good auteur director was given the opportunity to do something really weird and abstract. You know what I'm saying? But it, right. it felt really different from that. And so I just felt like I wanted to kind of investigate and interrogate how I felt on my own. The weird thing about this is by virtue of never straight up naming the woman, Right. Mm -hmm. Jesse Buckley's character. It's like she has zero autonomy in the story, even though it's largely it's her story. It's her trying to make decisions and, of course, never really being able to do so. So, right. you know, then you start factoring in there's there's a whole sideways kind of flash universe that they have going on that you find out later is is, is at the actual school where he went. But mm -hmm. um, there's a janitor. And there's a janitor there who is seeing all these people and these characters that we see in different parts of it. And it becomes this really weird, ephemeral, you know, peanut butter on your jelly thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's, I don't really know how else to explain it other than like that became this, this kind of clue for me where I'm looking at who she is mm -hmm. and whether she exists at all. Whether yeah. she is a perfectly idealized version of what this guy wants. Maybe this is the lowest common denominator, so I apologize. It felt a little incelly to me, um, and I don't think that's what the novel was about. So I'd be reticent to say that. But what I think it was, especially uh, when when they go back to the house scene, um, or earlier in the house scene, where they're looking at that picture, where she can't quite tell. She thinks it's her, but it looks like Jesse Plemons as a kid. But hey, it could also be her. Like there is, it's amazing, like um, how it almost plays tricks on you, the viewer. 
when they even suggest that. So uh, I keep coming back to that where I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't think she exists at all. I think that she is this perfectly idealized version of what he thinks he wants only to be confronted by what he actually thinks he wants. And it's not real. Like he just wants someone to, to lord over. You know, they, they, all they talk about that whole movie is how he's so smart and how he doesn't have friends and how, and how he's never been bothered by all this other shit. And it just rang to me like some guy who's been profoundly lonely for whatever reason, right? Because, like, I'm sure there's sympathetic incels, by the way. And it's not a popular thing to say. Uh, right. But I think there are. And I think, like, for whatever the reasons are, this is who he is. He's been so forced into, like, this reclusive state that he has to create these fictions largely based on the things that he sees in the real world. Um, whatever the real world is. But the one thing I'm almost positive about is that this, this incredible woman is not real. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think that's the thing that's low hanging fruit, but I mean, yell back at me, poke holes in this. No, I mean, I, I think I already said earlier, I don't think she's real. I think this is all a part of like that one psyche or a shared psyche. I, I think that she was just a woman at that trivia night um, that he thought about talking to and never did. So you see in that dinner scene, how, she's lying almost poorly about uh, going um, or about how he approached her or whatever. And then the mother corrects her and gets her back on track. Um, I think that that was just a woman he saw once and he created this whole delusion or his mind flashed to this woman and he started assigning her different roles and different accents because he never knew her, never talked to her. So I think that the incel thing, like the the term incel never occurred to me, but I mean, it's pretty much what it is. I, I think it's more that he's just this uh, deeply lonely, marginalized man who probably was relatively intelligent. He's reading fucking Pauline Kale and shit, mm-hmm. um, but he was uh, left to take care of his parents he was an outcast in school and uh he never engaged with the world in a meaningful way and this is just a guy who's looking back on that life with regret so i fully uh, assumed that he was the janitor um because we see in the very beginning an old man looking out the window when jesse buckley is pulling up and then jesse plemons looking out the window uh they constantly cut to his hands and it's an old man's hands mm-hmm. um so it definitely ties together and then we see a cartoon pick at the end with you know the maggots or whatever uh, so that, that, that was sort of my take. If we can just talk about just uh, abstract horror for a second, uh, <laughs> that maggots thing is pretty horrifying. Even when a cartoon pops up, which I know is the bridge too far for so many people who are going to watch this. Although really at this point, at that point in the film, that was your bridge right. too far. If that loses you, I don't know. <laughs> but, but just that scene of like the dumpster full of those uneaten ice cream things right. horrified me man like I, I that's the weird thing it was the shark the whole movie is the shark in the water like you think there's this thing that's going to happen and even though they kind of clue you in right from the very beginning he seems to be able to it's like that flea bag moment where the priest can sort of hear her little asides to the camera mm-hmm. like they, they give you that from the beginning and there's enough of right. that stuff where it's like honestly i just feel like i'm dumb because i feel like that can't be it solely like i'm sure there's a bunch of shit on the periphery that i'm not quite getting um but you know that's plot we're talking about just the effectiveness of how things are, are done yeah I, I mean i i think with things like this it's best not to overestimate too much what's going on um i i think that it's a a simple not simple but i i think it is the bare bones at least is simply a story about an old man with either delusion or regret or some kind of mental illness. Um, And it's really more about how they tell that story because that's not an original story. It wasn't an original story when Mulholland Drive did it. Um, But it's more just Charlie Kaufman being able to navigate 
how people think and how they engage with memory and how things get conflated that makes the movie fascinating. Um, well, see, and I, I wish think it's that, that was that actual, be... not to cut you off, but can, can we just get into that? Because I wish that that's more what it was in terms of like there were tangible memories um, mm-hmm. as opposed to what I felt were fictionalized memories, like across the board. The parent stuff felt very real. Um, obviously I think that that's something that I picked up on, but you nailed it when you, when you actually put it into words where it's like his performance reads like somebody who has been burdened with having to take care. Like, sadly, that's what happens. Parents get older, they need help. And you either look at that as a blessing or you look at that as a fucking burden that's been put upon you. Um, one of the most disturbing scenes of this is when his mom is clearly fucking dead and he is just sitting there like she's fine. She's sleeping. And, and what? Uh, so my point is I look at that and I'm like those moments are real but all the other stuff the relationship stuff feels like it's completely fabricated um, so I don't think it's an engagement with memory necessarily Um, but maybe maybe it's it's the wish fulfillment uh, intermingled with your actual tangible memories and again I I think it's a and I I don't want to like say strictly like one-to-one corollary this is this that Mm -hmm. is that but I like that's very much how it clearly read to me anyway is that uh, he was conflating memory with fantasy and using uh, those memories and fantasies to prop up a delusion, a right. life. He was trying and failing miserably pretty much from the jump to prop up a delusion, a very fragile well, one. And, and the best thing you do is you wrap a lie in truths, right? You make it plausible, yeah. uh, and at least to yourself. Which I, but what's also amazing about that is Jesse Buckley's sort of understanding yeah, uh, little by little, but but it's getting there. Like, and I wonder if that's ever happened with any of the previous version because like that's implied, heavily implied. This ain't mm-hmm. the first person. Like, he has had many of these fantasies that there are victims in his Tulsi. What is that place called? A fucking horrifying, like a Dairy Queen thing in the middle of the nowhere. Oh but, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tulsi um, Town, yeah. Tul- Tulsi Town, and there's that that other great little piece of animation. Um, I love that we got like some creepy fucking animation from Charlie okay. Kaufman. But just in general, like, let's move away from plot and interpretation a little bit. I just want to talk about like just the fucking skill and the craft and the creepy uh, little asides that are all running throughout this movie. Like just things like uh, the scratch marks on the door and Jesse Plemons immediately getting terrified that she's asking about it. Where did those come from? Oh, it was my dog, but they're way too high up to really be from a dog or, you know, uh, just the mother waving from the window for far too long or the dog that can't stop shaking. There's all these little things in the film that are just right on the edge of horror, you know? Oh, the dog shaking um, was full. Like, that's what I saw that in the trailer. That's when I was like, ah, oh, fuck, this is going to be a thing for me to yeah. get through. But um, no, I agree. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, as a director, it's it's not like he was hurting for directorial skill or vision and synecdoche. Like, there are parts of that movie that are stunning. But in every way, on a much smaller scale, this seems like a way bigger achievement. Um, yeah. And it seems like he is just getting better and better. It's And also it really makes you appreciate directors who could take other people's scripts. Like Spike Jones did a wonderful job with adaptation. Michelle Gondry did, I think the only version of eternal sunshine, but it's really interesting to see like now that he's able to direct his own films, how like unrepentingly Kaufman esque they are, uh, you know what I mean? And he's able to pull it off and I'm, there are people who are going to see this and not love it. Like I'll, I wouldn't recommend this movie to everybody, but for those who are going to see it, I think that they're going to be kind of blown away by how unpalatable, 
some of this shit is, and yet it's never boring. It's very riveting, which is something, again, saying something when there's two chunks of this film are like 17 minute car rides, 27 minute car ride. And you're like, that can't right. be interesting. And, and again, yeah, that, that's an excellent point. It almost reads or plays like a stage play, but no stage play would be able to make this work. I mean, maybe like if there was like some great special effects work being done very quickly. Um, but it, it is like a lot of very prolonged scenes of just dialogue and people sitting in a car for an extended period of time. Um, but yeah, no, I just appreciated, like you said, that they, that Kaufman was able to make that riveting, um, that he utilized his actors to the absolute fucking best of their abilities. Like this is as good as Tony Collette's ever been. This is as good as David Thewlis has ever been. I would say um, all of them, but that's yeah. low for Jesse Buckley because I don't know her, but even Plemons. And I think we forget all the time because he's like, he was, he was in Mad or not Mad, he's in Breaking Bad and he was in uh, Fargo and he's like, Friday Night Lights, yeah. Friday Night Lights. But like, he's a, he's good man. And like, really one of his best performances if not his best was in this film because he did so much under the surface and then yet when he had to blow up he did right uh, i was i don't know like the whole film is mesmerizing whether it's going to mean it's good for you or not is totally subjective for me i was like in love with it like yeah. I, I could not stop looking at the screen and i want to go and rewatch it but it's one of the few films where i'm like nah you can't just press replay on that <laughs> well, motherfucker you need to take a minute you know that, that was uh, something that Jay Bauman of Red Letter Media tweeted out, and it was before I saw the film. He's like, man, I, I'm thinking of anything. This is such a great, dense film packed with all these literary references and hidden meanings that I never want to watch again. <laughs> I mean, it's accurate, man. I, I can't, but the, but the weird thing is it didn't feel taxing to me. Like it was, no. it was hard, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a challenging, in the, in the way that like a Faulkner novel is difficult, but you're rewarded for it. Sure. Um, but it, it was it was just something that was like so loaded and packed with so much cerebral material. Like it would be so interesting to go rewatch that and only look at half of a frame and just right. see like what 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 did he pack in this frame? You know what I mean? Because it does seem like there's so much going on in the periphery um, and and that he's doing sleight of hand because there's amazing performances, you know, sure. like amazing filmmaking that you're kind of like oh shit, what didn't I see? So I, I'm gonna take some time and I'm gonna rewatch it, but. For me, yeah, it's same. like Kaufman, it's when we talk about like, okay, un, unrivaled, it's like, what does that mean? Like best is subjective, right? But I think the best you can hope for is to be you. No one makes David Lynch movies except David Lynch. I don't right. think anyone makes Charlie Kaufman movies. Even the people when they were directing his scripts, they, they can't make what he does because there's always a sort of romanticism to it. With Kaufman, yeah. it's beautiful, but it feels so cold. And I don't know if that you share that, but it's, it's weird that like Synecdoche felt like that. Anomalisa feels like that. Like it's beautiful, but it's really detached in a way. And it kind of sure. looks at the worst parts of humanity rather than, you know, the beautiful parts of it. I mean, I would almost, I would almost disagree up to a point. I would almost say or characterize his films as, as raw emotionally like he goes to places emotionally or in the psyche um that a lot of people don't like to go or don't like to spend time in but he does tap into something that's very true and real in our darkest moments you know there are people like that old man you know uh and he uh yeah i i think that if anything he does treat his subjects with compassion um i i don't get like when i hear the word cold i think of somebody like Kubrick, for example. But when I look at Kaufman, I, I see it more as just somebody who's trying to look at like the ugliest things that people don't normally, uh, or that people turn away from and pointing a lens at it and shining a light on it's it. It's cold purely because it doesn't have company. 
Like, I think that's mm. kind of what I'm trying to, to hint at. Yeah, like, sure. Kubrick is, like, detached dehumanist. I <laughs> honestly believe Goffman loves humanity. Like, he right. finds the beautiful things in it. Uh, but, yeah, when I watch those films, they are layered with, like, a, uh, a distance. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he may be lovingly, he may look at his creations and adorn them accordingly and have affection for them. Uh, but, but it always feels like, I don't know, like Synecdoche is the one that keeps coming back. Like, that's just a profoundly fucking sad movie. It's sure. beautiful, but it's very sad. This movie felt the same way. There's like, we didn't talk about the third act and we shouldn't. It takes place in a high school. It's it really yeah. weird. It gets very fucking weird. But yet it's- But, but also lovely in parts Very too, emotionally yeah. beautiful, right? Because those yeah. are the moments that hit me the hardest was pretty much everything. Like when she, when she, just the scene where she talks to the guy and then everything that happens after that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, those, those those are the emotional high points, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's great that he's able to still do that in a film that is really hard to watch at times. But um, I don't know, I feel like we're circling the wagons here, man. What, what, what else can I say about it? Look, I really loved it. I can't wait to see whatever Kaufman does next, which, by the way, we're in the, the streaming age where everyone wants to buy content. Why isn't someone just giving him enough money to do whatever he wants you know like or maybe he's one of those people like with a budget it brings out the best in him because this doesn't seem like an expensive film i mean it didn't need to be and you know what he he fucking made it work look i'm i'm grateful that you know mid to low budget movies that are distinct are getting made like i i still look at something like neon demon comes to mind because that was a six million dollar budget movie but it looks better than most blockbusters do in terms of just the quality and visual fidelity and like same with this it's carefully composed it's done very well the sound design on this thing i watched it with headphones is fucking top tier um yeah i would say that kaufman is a humanist and i think that and i don't know the guy personally maybe he's a a jovial type a uh alpha you know type bro dude i don't think he is though i think he is very much coming uh at these characters from a place of empathy because he's uh an outsider himself up to a point um and probably in his worst moments i mean i'm going by the movie adaptation here um, but you see that thread throughout literally all of his work. Uh, there is a Kaufman-esque character, much like there is a Woody Allen-esque character. In Woody it Allen's is interesting. Films. I was just going right. to throw that same thing. Uh, uh, but yeah, Kaufman, yeah, all of those characters are Kaufman. Joel Barish is fucking Andy Kaufman. It's oh, quite sure. clear. Um, so yeah, sure. no, I mean, I, whatever happens next, I'm in. You know, like he is, I think, operating at a level that belongs only to him. Sure. Um, and the gall i think i want to say like there are times where i read like where i see a movie or like you know i'm looking at a screenplay and i'm like who gave this guy the fucking balls to do this you know what i mean right uh, and and kaufman is cl- the guy who does that the most often so um all i can say is yeah go check it out like watch it i mean if you hate it tell us why you hate it yeah. um <laughs> like i because i'm genuinely interested i'm sure there's gonna I mean- be those pieces coming I, I did actually want to say I convinced one of my uh, homies in New York to uh, check it out. And she's normally open to, you know, strange uh, or dark or interesting films. And she did not like it, but we talked through it. And uh, she like kind of came around to liking it as we talked it out. And I was just kind of using Socratic method, asking her questions why? like, well, why? why do you think that yeah. is? Why do you think? And she eventually like got to a place where she was like, oh, God, okay. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. But yeah, like I can very much see people not liking this movie, but you cannot tell me that it's not memorable or interesting. Um, definitely my favorite movie of the year, though I haven't really seen much of fucking anything this year. Right. Um, but yeah, man, it's definitely a, a contender for me. 
Yeah, man. I mean, so I know we're going to do Amazon's Get Duped. I know we want to do that at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we'll, 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 we'll keep on the indie circuit, but I'm also assuming in the next couple of weeks, you'll probably watch Tenet. Maybe we'll do that. I don't know. Movies are coming back out. That's what the Tenet advertisement told me. I refuse to watch movies that are palindromes. Damn. That's a good one. So what, what else is there? I can't think of any palindromic uh, titles except for Tenet right now. Yeah, neither neither can I, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, so it's just that it? Okay, good to know. Uh, all right, man. Well, I think that, that wraps up this particular episode of Shallow Dives, man. Uh, any final words on I'm thinking of ending things? Uh, I mean, if I were to give it a letter grade, I would probably give it like A minus, might bump it up to an A if I were to watch it again. I don't know where you're at with that. I, you know, I'm giving it a firm A. I'm giving it a yeah. firm A because I think like too often what we think about films is like a film's got to have a story that makes sense. It's like, that's not what a I film do is. say that. Well, because I'm thinking about your friends that you had to ask questions. And I think without knowing the details of that conversation is what happens when you ask someone why enough mm-hmm. times you eventually get to emotional bedrock on why that thing fucked with you to begin with. And right. then that's like a matter of self-discovery. You know what I mean? So... <clears throat> I look at it like that and I'm just like, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people would feel like that. They just need to kind of dig deeper and, and figure that out. Like I, I didn't need to know exactly everything that was going on while I was watching it. What I know is what I felt when I watched it. Right. Uh, I think that we're like, movies are still experiences. Like you go into a dark place to watch something that takes you to another place. And for 90 fucking minutes, I was in a nightmare world, but I was sure. in the most confident hands ever. And that's why it gets a fucking A for me. Yeah, and, and for whatever my interpretation of it was or Christian's interpretation, that very well might not be the right one. I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say I know exactly what's going on in this movie. I just, that's where the pieces aligned for me. But even right. having heard that, if you sat through this whole review and you still haven't seen the film and you feel like you've been spoiled, I promise you haven't because this is an experience, like you were saying. Please watch it, make up your own mind. And uh, if you don't like it, just ask yourself why. I'd be really curious to hear the answers. Nailed it. All right, man. Uh, well, public service announcement from, from Shallow Dives. Uh, we'll be back eventually. We'll do something else. And when we do, uh, I guess you'll be the first to hear about it. All right. Bye.